Filthy Henry and the Impossible Victim, Chapter 8. Rez watched Trent from the other side of the mirror and sighed with despair. These maggots, as he thought of humans, were the least entertaining creatures ever to walk the face of Ireland, and there was no denying that. All they seemed to do was eat and laze about on their computers and phones, updating profile pages for the world over to read. Surely you would have to actually do something, anything, to justify updating such things. Otherwise the updates would only inform the world that you were updating your profile, and that was hardly worth wasting time on. The thought brought a sly smile to Brez's face. Time. The one thing maggots had limited quantities of, and yet the one thing they wasted the most. Even trying to train one such as Trent to be useful involved far too much time wasting. As he watched the Garda through the mirror, Brez noticed that there was a large kitchen knife covered in orange paint lying on the bedside locker. Trent was seated on the edge of the bed, head in his hands, as if the weight of the world was on his shoulders. Which it soon will be, if you don't stop that half-breed from solving this thing, Brez thought. He waved his hand over the glass, turning the reflective side in Trent's bedroom transparent, allowing it to act like a window so that the Garda could see Brez through the mirror frame. Just how is this keeping your sorry arse out of the ground, may I ask? Trent screamed and fell backwards onto the bed. He lay there panting for a minute before slowly rising up and looking at the mirror. How? Trent said in a shaky voice. You've seen more magic in the last couple of days than your entire life, yet this is somehow baffling to you? Maggots truly are dumb. Now shut up and pay attention. I have to communicate this way because I can't just walk around in Dagda's realm without being noticed. But even this could draw the attention of his little bookkeeper. What is that over there? Brez indicated the knife with a nod of his head. Trent looked over his shoulder then back at the mirror. That's how I'm going to arrest the private detective, Trent said. Figured I could plant it in his office or home or something, then come back and arrest him later. You said he just needs to be kept out of the picture for a week, wasn't it? Was killing him too hard a concept to grasp? I knew I should have used the other fella, but it would have raised too many questions, Brez said. Trent shrugged, his face a mask of frozen terror. Brez pointed at the knife on the bedside table. Seriously, that's the plan? Plant evidence? Trent nodded once. Fantastically stupid, but I don't care. So long as you can delay the investigation for the week, everything will be fine. Then I won't have to deal with you maggots any more. So when are you planning on doing this? The Garda shrugged his shoulders once more. I'm not sure. I have to find out where he lives first. You just told me his name is Filthy Henry. I sort of need a surname for when an alias isn't in the system. Rez closed his eyes and counted slowly to ten. If there was not so much riding on the murder never being solved, he would have just magically detained Filthy Henry himself. How humans had managed to mess up the world so badly considering how stupid they were was an impressive feat. Then again, maybe it was their lack of intelligence that had allowed them to ruin things so badly. Come over here and listen, Brez said, gesturing with his finger for Trent to move closer. Trent did as instructed and came over to stand in front of the mirror. Brez clicked his fingers and caused the glass to mist over. An image of a building appeared. This is the half-breed's home and office, on Abbey Street. In the image the front door opened, 
and Filthy Henry stepped out onto the street, followed by the female familiar who had been with him in the café. Dagda joined them, a fact which Brez noted as something to be reported later. The three of them talked briefly at the bottom of the steps before turning left and walking down the street. As they moved from sight, Brez motioned with his hand so that the picture enlarged around the door. See that? How fortunate we decided to look at this very moment, he said. They just left, meaning you shouldn't have any trouble enacting your dumb little plan. Brez lunged forward, his arm passing through the mirror and out into the bedroom. He gripped Trent by the neck and lifted the mortal half a foot off the ground. Trent reached up and tugged at the god's fingers, struggling to breathe and turning an interesting shade of purple. If time was on his side, Brez would have found the maggot's vain attempts at freedom entertaining. Now get to it, maggot, or you're going into the ground, and I will find someone else with a spark of intellect to do the job. With that, Brez rapidly pulled his arm back through the mirror, dragging Trent along with him. He smashed the mortal's head into the glass, shattering the mirror in the bedroom and severing his connection to Trent's home. A single shard of glass fell at Brez's feet. He looked down at it, then melted it away with a blast of fire from his fingertips. Bunty Dooley's bar on Pierce Street was Filthy Henry's favourite fairy watering hole for many reasons. The main one being, it was the only fairy pub that had no problem serving a half-breed. The rest of the establishments around Dublin, and indeed Ireland as a whole, still had issues with his heritage. Half-breeds were just not normal, which the fairy detective found hilarious when you considered some of the things that fairy folk did consider normal. It was also one of the few neutral locations in the city. Ancient spells and protective charms prevented magical clashes between the fairy people once inside, something that was reinforced by the powerful Bunty Dooley and her vast array of spells. Even higher up the list of reasons why the fairy detective loved the place so much was the fact that he was not barred from it. At least this week he was not barred. Possibly. The bar was in a building that, to a person not gifted with fairy sight, appeared derelict and vacant. People walked past it every day of the week, going about their business, and not knowing that they had passed an elaborate and impressive illusion. All they saw were the boarded-up windows, the smoke-blackened door, and grammatically incorrect graffiti. Shelley was staring at the building, flicking between her normal and magic sight, clearly in awe at what was happening. To her, the building was transforming from a run-down hovel into an elegant structure with fantastic masonry and stained-glass windows, all in the literal blink of an eye. Dagda stood in front of the main door, his arms crossed, looking at the pub. I've heard of this place. Bunty Dooley is a fairly well-respected sea, the portly god said. He looked over his shoulder and grinned at Filthy Henry. I'm surprised she lets you darken her door. Yeah, well, at the moment we're on good terms, I think. Plus, I'm hungry. You said you wanted to talk. So this is killing two birds with one fatter stone. The fairy detective pushed the front door open and entered the pub. Inside was always impressive, no matter how many times you'd been in the place. Glowing magical orbs illuminated the entire interior. Better than your garden variety electric light. Tables of assorted shapes, the assortment being limited to round and rectangular, littered the floor in a layout that could only be described as chaotic. Random stools and chairs congregated around these tables, none really belonging to any one table in particular. A large bar counter ran along the left wall, behind which stood Bunty Dooley, the lady of the drip tray. Just inside the door, three changelings sat around a table, 
drinking from tankards and playing a card game. At the sight of Filthy Henry, they laid their cards down on the table, none caring if they were face up or not, and stared at him. Three mean little cherub-like faces, with the glassy eye of a drunk spoiling for a fight, looked at the fairy detective intensely. Filthy Henry and the changing race had a long-standing disagreement. This was based primarily on the fact that he was alive. Changelings looked like human babies, all small and tiny and pudgy with cheeks a person just wanted to pinch. They had one function in the fairy world, to swap places with any half-breeds that were born and then promptly die in the replaced child's crib. As magical powers went, it was definitely something of a niche one. While the parents mourned the loss of their bundle of joy, the rest of the fairy world disposed of the half-breed in ways nobody from polite society ever needed to know. After the funeral, once the changeling was buried in the earth, the race's second magical ability would kick in. They would revive and teleport to the surface, thus ensuring that the fairy world remained a secret for mortals, and more importantly, that no half-breeds with access to magic lived. The fairy detective was considered to be the white whale for all changelings. Nobody had ever figured out just how filthy Henry's mother had managed it, but once a half-breed reached their first birthday, they were safe. The rules were very clear on that, which meant the changelings had living proof of one half-breed who had not only gotten away, but enjoyed walking around in the fairy world. It was something of a black mark for a race whose sole job was to prevent such creatures living until their first birthday. I should just let all sorts in here now, one of the changelings said, in a gruff voice that did not match his face. His drinking buddies nodded in agreement. Well, that's good news for you lot, isn't it? Filthy Henry said. The changeling who had spoken visibly turned red in the face. With tiny clenched fists, he jumped up onto the table and squared off against the fairy detective. Before the changeling could respond, he peered over Filthy Henry's shoulder and his jaw dropped. Without saying another word, the baby-like fairy climbed down from the table and sat back in his seat. All three picked up their cards and suddenly found other things to stare at. Things not in the direction of the front door. Well, this really is quite a nice little spot, Dagda said as he stepped around Filthy Henry and surveyed the interior of the establishment. I should drink down here more often. Oh, look, there's a table of changelings. You busy these days, lads? There came a general mumble of consensus from the three changelings. Good, good, Dagda said. Well, not good because it means some fairy folk just can't control their urges, but good that you have some work. Awful downturn in the economy these days. Can't be having fellas out of gainful employment. Let's sit at that table over there, shall we? This last bit was said to Filthy Henry and Shelley, as the portly god moved across the floor and sat down at a small round table near the bar counter. Are those babies drinking? Shelley asked as she closed the door behind her. Oh, just don't worry about it, Filthy Henry said, taking Shelley by the hand and leading her to the table Dagda was seated at. Bunty Dooley came over to their table with three empty glasses. She set a glass down in front of each person and smiled at them all. Aren't you barred? She said to the fairy detective. Ah, I kind of figured that had expired by now, no? Sure, it was only a wisp. We don't get too many of your kind in here. Well, never, in fact, Bunty said. Are you wrapped up in this Gombean's latest escapade? Shelley was staring at Bunty like a wide-eyed deer caught in the headlights of an oncoming train. I've never met one of your race before, Shelley said. You're so beautiful. It's mesmerising. Filthy Henry gave Bunty probably the thousandth head-to-toe look and had to agree that Shelley was right. 
Auntie Dooley was the most attractive creature in Dublin, human or fairy. Maybe it was her porcelain white skin, her northern Irish accent, her shapely physique, or the night black hair that came down past her shoulders. It was really hard to pinpoint exactly what was amazing about the fairy, as everything added up in minute ways. Even her pointed ears were pleasing to the eye. But the fairy detective always figured that it was a sea trait. A spell the race used to appear perfect in every way. There was no chance that anything looked as amazing as a sea, let alone worked in something as common as a pub. Yet there was no denying Bunty Dooley was beautiful and she owned the pub. Not that Filthy Henry, nor any of Bunty's patrons, were complaining. It always made it easier to justify just one more drink when you had something appealing to gaze at. The sea, clearly getting a little uncomfortable with the affectionate gaze Shelley was giving her, turned to Dagda. Her mouth dropped open and she stared at him. I'm sorry, she said. I didn't notice you were you until I looked over there. Dagda waved one of his fat fingers in a dismissive gesture, shaking his head and smiling. Fret not, he said. I'm here on business with these fine people. I have to say I really love what you've done with the place, more so given its location. I may have to incorporate some of this into my own abode when I return. It takes very little to make a sea blush, due to their skin being so pale. When they blush it's very noticeable. Right then Bunty was blushing so badly she could have been mistaken for a red man. She made some strange noise from her throat, managed to somehow bow and curtsy at the same time, then left the table. The fairy detective watched her for a moment as she walked away from the table, then caught Dagda and Shelley staring at him from the corner of his eye. He settled back in his seat and picked up his empty glass, looking inside. She never took our drinks order, he said dismayed. She seems nice, Dagda said with a sly grin in his face. The sort of lady any man would be lucky to have in his life. Yeah, sure, I guess, Filthy Henry said, avoiding eye contact with the god. If you're into that whole lovely to look at and great personality rolled into one thing, I suppose. You like her, Shelley said. As in, like like her. It's her, isn't it? The one you talked about in your sleep that time I caught you napping at your desk in the office. Never would have thought it was a fairy woman that you were in love with. Filthy Henry glared across the table at her. Let's not turn this murder mystery into a double homicide, okay? Move on from this now before somebody gets embarrassed. The Chief of the Gods let out a little chuckle. I think we all know who would be getting embarrassed, the portly god said. But you're right. We should get down to business. Dagda clicked his fingers once over each glass. From an invisible bottle, the glasses all began to fill up. Filthy Henry and the Chief of the Gods had a glass of fairy ale in front of them. Shelley's glass contained what appeared to be a vodka and Diet Coke. Figured the real stuff would make her blind, Dagda said picking up his glass and taking a mouthful. Filthy Henry, glad that they had moved off the topic of his love life, nodded in agreement. Fairy ale was strong stuff. It had to be in order to get a magical creature drunk. Not that he had ever gotten drunk from it. Something about his half-breed nature meant normal alcoholic beverages had no effect on him at all, and fairy-based ones only allowed him to get a little light-headed. Then again, he had never tried the really strong concoctions that were available to drink, but a mortal would probably have been killed from a thimble of true fairy ale, even the cheap and cheerful sort. Either that, or have been so out of their mind drunk 
that they would have had no trouble seeing fairies, or aliens for that matter. He watched as Dagda savoured the taste of the drink in his mouth, then decided to strike. Okay. You have to clear something up, Filthy Henry said. So what's Dian Keck's punishment going to be if we don't solve this case? Dagda lowered his glass back to the table and dabbed at his beard to remove any droplets. You will be, uh, removed from existence, the portly god said. Killed? Shelley asked. Like dead? You lot just told us that you can't kill a god, and suddenly the penalty for killing a god is actually getting killed? How does that work? As chief of the gods, I am the all-powerful supreme being, Dagda said. Long ago, we laid out the rules, and one of them clearly states that if a god somehow kills another god, then their punishment for such a crime is to be removed from existence. He lifted up his glass and started to take another drink. So what happened during the War of the Gods? Filthy Henry asked. Dagda spluttered into his glass, sending foam and golden liquid pouring down his beard. He put his glass back on the table and conjured a towel out of thin air, using it to dry himself. What war? he asked, dabbing his chest. I don't know what you're talking about. A war? That is something mortals do to make their lives more entertaining. Hmm, I wonder if they serve food around here. I always like having food that was made rather than conjure it myself. Old-fashioned that way, maybe. Shelley looked over at the fairy detective. Yeah, actually, Dian Kecht mentioned that too. Said Mia had healed some injury from the war that even he had trouble with, she said. Filthy Henry leaned back in his seat, crossed his arms and smiled smugly. See, it was bugging me when Ogma said that gods haven't killed other gods in millennia. That sort of implied that at some point, gods had indeed killed other gods, or at least knew how. I'm no scholar, but I've read enough of the old legends to know that you lot arrived in Ireland. You've not always been here. You just rocked up one day from somewhere else. Since Brez is some sort of god as well, just not the same type as you and your bunch, then I'm guessing at some point both sets of gods must have had a disagreement. He gestured towards Dagda, ushering the god to finish. The chief of the gods slowly shook his head and sighed. You're too clever by far, Henry, he said. Yes, Brez is a god, what mortals would probably call a dark god. He and his kin were in Ireland long before we came to her shores. They ruled through fear and terror and saw mankind as nothing more than playthings. It was disgusting. So we... Agma, myself and the others, we decided that mankind needed protectors, gods that would help nurture mortals, teach them how to improve their lives. Ireland herself called to us from the beyond, begging us to come and defend her children. We fought Brez, Valor and their lot and we won. I'm sure it was helped in no small part by the people pouring belief into you, right? Filthy Henry said, taking a mouthful from his drink. I have to say, I'm not one for craft beers usually, but this is not bad. My compliments. Dagda narrowed his eyes and leaned over the table, staring directly at the fairy detective. It was a little unsettling. Filthy Henry had made a habit of annoying people, fairies, and anything with a brain and two ears, but this was the first time that he had properly ticked off a god. Undoubtedly there were two ways it could go, and he knew, deep down, that one might just involve fire and brimstone being thrown at him. The less you say about that belief, Lark, the better, Dagda said, 
in a low tone that suggested bad things could happen if people did not listen to the advice being given. It is something better not mentioned again. Sometimes old habits die hard, but this is only because they are busy throwing the good habits in front of a bus. A normal person would have politely nodded at the not-so-veiled threat and swiftly moved on to other topics of conversation. Filthy Henry, on the other hand, figured it was an appropriate time to wink. So he did. Henry! Shelley hissed. Dagda sucked on his bottom teeth, then sat back in his chair. His gaze was still fixed firmly on Filthy Henry. My boy, one day you will need to be taught some manners. Sadly, that day is not this one, because you have to solve my case. Now, I've told you what you wanted to know, as much as can be told. Go make yourself useful and start pestering some other gods. Preferably the right kind of gods. I've suddenly, and for the first time, lost my appetite. There was a creak of wood as a great weight lifted from it and Dagda vanished from sight. Have you got a death wish or something? Shelley asked the fairy detective. You can't just go winding up gods like that. I mean, you're lucky he wasn't Zeus or something, shooting lightning all over the place. Filthy Henry downed the rest of Dagda's magical ale and slammed the glass on the table. He's just as bad as Zeus in other ways, he said, rising from the table. The only difference is Zeus worked on his body more. Come on, we'd better go make some new friends. In your case, wouldn't that be make your first friend? Shelley said, smiling. Filthy Henry gave her the middle finger and started moving towards the front door. As he passed the table of changelings, one of them looked up from his cards and scowled at the fairy detective. He won't be around to protect you forever, half-breed. Stopping with his hand on the door, Filthy Henry looked down at the table of drinking babies, then glanced over at Bunty Dooley. A round of drinks from my friends here, he said, gesturing towards the changelings. Three sippy cups of milk. Help them go to sleepy time. Trent O'Shea had often heard his dad talk about the thin blue line. How people were born on one side of it or the other. Daddy O'Shea would say the Garda in fact, the police forces around the world were what kept things in check. Marching along the line, making sure that the crooks and the citizens stayed on their side of it and punishing those that strayed into areas they shouldn't be in. At that very moment, Trent was not sure how true his dad's waffle had actually been. The general principle made perfect sense, but he was finding it a little hard to believe that people were born on one side of the law or the other, and that was that. It was so easy to wander across the line, skip back and forth even, if the reasons behind your actions were logical and justified. This was the mantra Trent kept telling himself as he worked on the lock of Filthy Henry's front door. He knew full well he was breaking in to plant evidence in order to avoid an eternal imprisonment underground. But there was a little doubt to which side of the blue line he was currently on. As he twisted the second lockpick, Trent figured his mantra was completely valid at least for the moment. He was doing two illegal things, but the end result was that he was saving a life. Just because said life was his own didn't mean it was an invalid reason. What he found most interesting, though, was the reaction of the general public as they passed by. Nobody, not one single soul, was paying any attention to the man that was clearly breaking into a building in the middle of the day. There was nothing else Trent could be doing, Nothing else they could mistake his actions for. He was kneeling down in front of the door, picking a lock. 
reading the instructions on how to pick it from the internet browser open on a smartphone. Short of putting up a few workman's signs around the door area, ones that read, Careful, Crime in Progress, there was not a lot more Trent felt he could do to inform people of his actions. Yet nobody seemed to care. The world really is going to hell, Trent thought as he fiddled with the lower pick and heard a satisfying click from the lock. The door opened slightly. With a gentle push, it swung inwards, revealing a small hallway and rickety stairs. Trent gathered up his phone, lockpicks and bag, then stepped inside. From across the street, a cheer rose up. Looking over his shoulder, Trent saw two inner-city street youths, dressed in the classic tracksuit and trainer's attire, clapping. One of them was holding up a piece of cardboard. He had written the number seven on it. Trent shook his head in disbelief. Getting marked on my lock-picking skills by some street scum. I've hit rock bottom, he thought to himself. He closed the door behind him and started slowly walking up the stairs. There was no denying it now. He had crossed that thin blue line. He just wondered if he had lost his way back. Filthy Henry, The Impossible Victim is book two of the Filthy Henry series by Derek Power. This completely free audiobook version was narrated by Niall Milton. Other Filthy Henry books are available to buy on Amazon Kindle.